0: I'm grateful for the opportunity that uh, Pastor Peter and Pastor Young Kwong and the uh, council has given me to bring God's Word to you this morning. I'm going to read chapter 1, verses 8 through 17, and then chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So, this is the Word of the Lord. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in it the gospel for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now flip over to chapter five and I just want to read this to let you see the benefits of the gospel of justification. Chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes once more to the beauty and glory of your wonderful and beautiful gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2005, uh, actually 2007, a man went busking in Washington, D.C. It was 7:10 a.m. on a Friday morning, right at the peak of rush hour, and he went just inside the L'Enfant Metro entrance to the subway at the busy city center in dc he was wearing um a washington uh uh, baseball cap the washington baseball team baseball cap and a t-shirt he had a violin case with him he walked in he opened up his violin case and like many buskers do he set it on the ground there for people to put money in and he began to play his violin he played for 43 minutes And almost no one noticed. It's on video. You can see it. You can Google the Washington subway experiment. What was interesting was this guy was Joshua Bell. He is a world renowned violinist, a a former child prodigy. Uh, His instrument was his 1713 Stradivarius worth $3.5 million. Well, most people didn't know who it was. And it's funny, if you watch the video, you'll see people just walking by. A few people stopped. Seven people actually stopped to listen to him for a short period of time. And one woman actually recognized him. She says, I I saw you at, uh, I I don't remember where, somewhere. And she said, "Uh, this is crazy. This could only happen in Washington, D.C. Well, friends, what's my point? We live in a busy world, don't we? There's a lot going on. We're all busy like those subway passengers. Uh, Two wars going on, a presidential election, inflation, crime, the border, the daily routine of work, providing for our families, raising our children. There's a lot going on in our lives. We're so busy like those folks on the subway. My prayer this morning is that as we gather to worship and as we look at God's word, we will see before our very eyes, like that violinist, God's magnificent, beautiful, glorious gospel of grace with fresh eyes. Don't miss it. Don't miss the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, to pause here and look at the gospel, I think the best place we can go is the book of Romans. That's my view. There's many places we can find the gospel message. But Martin Luther called Romans the clearest gospel of all and reckoned that it was worthy that every Christian should be occupied with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. In fact, Luther said it can never be pondered too much and the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes. And there's no better place, in my view, in Romans to go than to Romans chapter 1, Verses 16 and 17, which is what I'm going to focus on in our message this morning. These two verses, more than any other, were the verses that were at the heart of the Protestant Reformation 507 years ago. 1517, when Martin Luther nailed those 95, 95 theses onto the Wittenberg church door, it was Romans that really opened his eyes to something he had missed that was right in front of his nose, the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read just those two verses to you again, and then I'm going to make three points from them. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Three truths that I'm praying the Lord will open our eyes to afresh and anew. First, the gospel is the power of God to save sinners. Second, the gospel answers life's most important question. How can I, a sinner, be right with God? And finally, by faith, we accept this gift with a believing heart. And it's as simple as that. It's a simple message. A child can understand it. So, first of all, the gospel is God's power and plan to rescue sinners. The gospel is God's power and plan. To rescue sinners. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. For what? For world missions. For the salvation of everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. In fact, if you go back to verse 15, he says to the Roman church, I'm eager to come to you and preach the gospel. We've been going through the book of Acts and it's been a great series. And we've seen how as the gospel was preached, it led to persecution. And for Paul, it led to stonings and, and, and all kinds of trials and tribulations. And yet he says, I'm eager. I'm not ashamed to preach it. I'm eager to preach it. Why? Because the, the gospel is God's power and plan for the salvation of everyone who believes. Salvation from what? What are we saved from? I'd like to give you an illustration here. I've used it before so forgive me if you've heard it before when my oldest son was a, a a toddler we were I was a pastor in a country church we lived in a parsonage the parsonage had a basement and it was always backing up it had a sewage backup a perpetual problem so one day my wife was going out and I was charged with watching Richard and she said now whatever you do don't take him in the basement she knows me I like to tinker And uh, so uh, as soon as she left, I took him into the basement to do some tinkering, of course. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, he'll be fine. So I'm doing something, and all of a sudden I hear this kerplop. I turn around, and he's fallen into the sump well. And he's looking with this look of horror up at me. So I walk over there. I reach down, and it was a dirty, grimy kind of well because of the problems we'd had. I picked him up I pulled him out of there I saw the look of relief on his face I stared him straight in the eyes and I said don't tell your mom (laughs) don't tell your mom he needed salvation he could not as a toddler climb out of that sump well he needed a power outside of himself to lift him up And bring him rescue, salvation. And friends, that's a picture of the gospel. Humanity has fallen and we can't get up. Romans 3 23, Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And the gospel is God's plan for the salvation of sinners. And it's the only plan if there is no other plan there is no other way jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me paul says it's 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 the plan of salvation the power of god to everyone who believes it's completely non-discriminatory says to the jews first but also to the greeks that means everybody folks to the jews and the non-jews why the jews first somebody once said how out of god to choose the jews well because that chronologically the gospel came through the jewish people they had the messiah they had the 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 the, the scriptures first but the gospel is designed for everybody as god said to abraham in genesis chapter 12 i will bless you and i will bless the nations through you so the gospel paul says i'm not ashamed of it why It's God's power. It's God's plan for the salvation of everyone who believes. And it's critically important, brothers and sisters, that we never, ever stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's critical that we're clear about what it is. The church and the Reformation recovered the clarity and beauty of the gospel. It had been lost. And it was recovered largely through these two verses in Romans in the life of a, fir- of a man by the name of Martin Luther. Now, why, why, does, why does Paul say, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel? Think about Rome. It was a, a, a cultured and sophisticated place. The first picture we have that somebody drew of Jesus Christ in the cross was discovered in Rome. It was drawn about the year 200 A.D. And it's in a museum now. It was drawn, scratched into plaster on a wall in a home in Rome. And it was a picture of a cross with a man on the cross with a donkey's head. It was a caricature, a cartoon. And there was a man bowing before the cross, worshiping it. And the the caption read, Alex worships God. It was sarcastic. It was making fun of Christianity. And the point is, in a sophisticated culture like Rome, and in, like the culture we live in, it's easy uh, to shirk away from being bold about proclaiming the gospel because we will be persecuted. It's not a popular message. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's rescue plan. That's our first point here. The second beautiful truth is that the gospel answers the most important question I can think of. How can I, a sinner, be right with a holy God? How can I, a sinner, be right with a holy God? In verse 17, he says, for in the... For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want to share the the, the story of Martin Luther's conversion with you to, to talk about the meaning of this verse. Luther didn't understand this birth. He was, a, he was a monk in the Catholic Church, and when he first looked at this verse, he was troubled by it because it says it talks about the gospel and i think you all know the word gospel means good news luther didn't understand how the gospel was good news in this verse because it says the righteousness of, the righteousness of god is revealed in the gospel and he's like wait a minute this is supposed to be good news but if god is righteous if he judges sin and i'm a sinner how is this good news It's not good news because I know I have a sin problem. That seems like bad news for me. How can I, a sinner, stand before a righteous and holy God and stand righteous before him? Well, his first answer was to be the best monk he could be. He was an Augustinian monk in Germany. And I'll quote him. He says, if ever a monk got to heaven by monkery, it was I. <laughs> he even made a trip to Rome and climbed uh, the Scala Sancta, the Pilate's staircase. You could, get a, you could get a life released from purgatory if you climbed it on your knees, reciting the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, each step of the way. So he did that, and then he got to the top, and he just, something didn't feel right. He just, um so so he, this is what he says about that time in his life though i lived as a monk without reproach i felt that i lived as a sinner before god with an extremely disturbed conscience i did not love yes i hated the righteous god who punishes sinners and secretly if not blasphemously murmured greatly i was angry with god thus i raged with a fierce and troubled conscience Nevertheless, I beat upon St. Paul on Romans 117, trying to understand what he meant. How is the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel? Good news. Then the light went on. As he studied the Greek, as he studied uh, the Bible, the light went on, and again, I'll quote him. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. Remember, first, the first uh, hermeneutical principle, the first principle of understanding the Bible is context, context, context. He says, I, I looked at the context. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Then I understood, namely, it's the righteousness which with the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous, shall live or the just shall live by faith a quote from Habakkuk so what he understood was the righteousness of God is revealed in this way central to the gospel is the gift of righteousness given to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ it's not something we can earn it's a gift the gift of righteousness justification by faith alone it was a critical teaching of the protestant reformation what is what is justification well here's what it is it's twofold some people remember it with this little saying just as if i never sinned that's part of it the cross we are cleansed jesus peter says jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross he paid for our sins so our sins are wiped clean the slate is wiped clean we're forgiven but that's only half of justification the other half is that god gives us a gift the gift of righteousness talked about in verse 17 he gives us christ's righteousness it works like this our sins are given to christ on the cross his perfect obedience his perfect righteousness is given to us and we are clothed with it the bible teaches and, and when God sees us, he sees us through that lens of Christ, and he declares us righteous, not because of the good deeds we've done, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in his work on the cross and his perfect life. Uh, Luther says, when, when I understood this, when I finally got it, that the the just shall live by faith. He says, I felt I was altogether born again and had entered the gates of paradise itself. Let me just have you flip quickly to one couple of verses here in chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. I want you to see this idea of a gift. 3:21 um, to 23. Let me just. This just really confirms Luther's understanding and our understanding in the Reformed faith, right, of of righteousness as a free gift. But now, apart from the law, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short Of the glory of God friends that's justification by faith you know Peter preached on this uh, uh, I was uh, maybe a year or two ago I don't remember exactly when but he shared the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer 60 and I'd like to read that it's so beautiful if you've never really studied that you need to look at it but question 60 asks how are you right with God and the answer is this only by true faith in jesus christ even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all god's commandments and of never having kept any of them and even though i'm still inclined to all evil nevertheless without my deserving it out of sheer grace god grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction righteousness and holiness of christ as if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner, as if I had been perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept the gift of God with a believing heart. Friends, that is what the Protestant Reformation was all about. Like those subway riders, people had been just blind to what was beautiful and wonderful right in front of them in God's word. And Luther's eyes... Were opened and the world was transformed through the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel from that time on so central to the gospel is the answer to this question how can I stand before a righteous God and the answer is by the gift through faith God gives you the gift of righteousness and uh, and, and, and listen that and God also that's justification There's also a process whereby God more and more and more as we walk with Christ helps us to become more and more like Christ, to grow in holiness, to grow in faithfulness. Um, But justification is God declaring us righteous when we trust Christ alone as our Savior. The third point I want to make here is we receive this gift of God by faith faith is so critical to the gospel it's absolutely critical paul says in verse 17 the righteousness of god is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written the righteous will live by faith well what is what does this mean well it means first of all that we can't buy the gift of god's righteousness it means that we can't earn the gift of god's righteousness we do not deserve the gift of god's righteousness it's by faith it's a gift that has to be received by faith so what is faith well the biblical word really means trust the core of it is trust Um, if you know it's more than believe it means to believe but the demons believe the gospel they know it's true but they're not trusting christ alone for their salvation. So faith is trust, trusting Christ alone. Um, I've used this illustration before here, so forgive me if you've heard it again, but when I was uh, one time at a 4th of July party, I sat down in a lawn chair. It didn't belong to me. Somebody had set it down, and there were a bunch of people around, and I was a little bit overweight at the time, I admit. I, I popped down into that lawn chair pretty hard, and it splat completely collapsed underneath me and of course everybody's looking at me and i'm embarrassed and i was that was when i was the pastor of the church and the whole community was there it was a small town (laughs) and uh i will never again put my trust in a lawn chair because faith is only as good as the object of your faith and the object of my faith in that case wasn't very good Mohammed, I'll never put my trust in him. Uh, Joseph Smith, the prophet, supposedly, I'll never put my trust in him. Because faith, trust is only as good as the object of your faith. And the, the key to salvation, to experiencing this great gift of righteousness, this great gift of salvation, is to trust Jesus Christ and him alone that his promises are true, that I am forgiven in him, that I have no other hope, that I'm relying on nothing else, and it's not that I'm a good person, it's not that I go to church every Sunday, it's that he has paid the price for my sin and given me this gift. And in fact, Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians 2 that even faith is a gift, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The grace and the faith are the gift of God. So, so, so who are you trusting in this morning? Jesus Christ is the only way. I pray that if you've missed it somehow, like those subway riders, if you've missed the core truth of the gospel, which is salvation by trusting Christ alone for my salvation, I pray that God will open your eyes anew and afresh to it. I'm going to close with one more Reformation story. This is about John Wesley, um, and this same passage in Roman not only converted Martin Luther, it converted John Wesley. Now, I actually preached in another church last week, and I heard somebody as as we were uh, leaving go, "Isn't what wasn't Wesley an Arminian?" <laughs> uh, yeah, he was a Christian though. <laughs> That's the important thing, and he was and he was saved by grace through faith. But here's Here's what happened in Wesley's life. So he went to Oxford. He was a brilliant guy. He, um, he, f- he founded a group called The Holy Club at Oxford. And they would get up. He would get up 4 a.m. every morning. He'd pray for two hours. He'd read the Bible for an hour. And then he would go to the jails and the city centers and, and different places and preach and minister and and pray until late at night, and he did this every day. Well, after about 10 years as a minister in the Church of England, he made his way to Georgia to be a missionary to Native Americans in the colonies. Didn't go well. Gets on a ship to go back to to England. He's on that ship, and a great storm hits. And everyone thinks the ship is going down. They're going to die, right? They're convinced. They're not going to make it. This is in in the 1700s. It's 200 years after Luther. So they're convinced they're going to die. He's terrified. But over in the corner, huddled together, are a group of Moravian missionaries singing hymns. And Wesley says, how can you sing hymns? You're going to die. They're like, look, we know that if this ship goes down, we're going to be with the Lord. We, We just know it. He's like, how can you know that? He he thought, how can they know? Who's done more than me? How can they have that confidence? I don't have that confidence. And it bothered him. He got back to England. By God's providence, the ship made it back safe. And this is a famous story. So he's, he's in London. He's walking down a street called Aldersgate Street. And he hears somebody preaching. And there's a little chapel. And he goes into the chapel on Aldersgate Street. And there's a preacher there and he's not really preaching you know what he's doing he's reading luther's sermon on romans 1 17 and 18 written 200 years earlier he's just reading that sermon about the just shall live by faith it's by grace through faith in christ alone that we're saved and luth and that was that was when he came to realize that he had not been trusting Christ alone. He'd been trusting his good works, all this stuff that he was doing for God, doing for Christ. It's not bad, but it's not what saves us. The works don't save us. He realized his religion was man-centered. And um, he writes this about that experience in the Aldersgate Street Chapel. He says, about a quarter before nine, While this guy was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Friends, what are you trusting in for your salvation this morning are you trusting in your good works the fact that you're a good person have you sort of missed the message of the gospel have you overlooked it right here in front of us so clear many many other verses we could quote about the nature of grace and salvation and faith and so forth but my prayer is that if you if you've been trusting anything other than the finished Work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection as young Quang pointed out on the cross for your salvation You've put it in the wrong place. You're like those subway riders. You've missed it And so I pray that if that's the case with you before you go to bed tonight before you lay your head on that pillow You'll get on your knees and say Lord Jesus. I Realize there's no other way for me to be saved for my sins to be forgiven than to put my trust Holy and fully and you alone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty and the glory of the gospel. Lord, may you use your word to shape our lives and to um, grow us into the person of Christ. We thank you that we're saved by faith alone, not by works. We also know that works are so important. And you're using us to make a difference in the world and to be peacemakers and to be those who share the gospel with others and to fulfill that world mission of proclaiming the gospel. I thank you for a church that preaches the gospel unashamedly, Lord. And I pray that you will never, ever let us stray from it. In Jesus' name, amen.